Chapters thirty two and thirty three of Rose Mather, a tale by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirty two. Suspicion. Maud de Vere had insisted that Captain Carleton should have her room, inasmuch as he would be more secure there. For if the house was suspected and searched, a catastrophe Paul Haverhill was constantly anticipating, no one would be likely to invade the sanctity of her apartment and tom found it so very pleasant and quiet and homelike that he was not at all indisposed to linger for several days particularly after paul found an opportunity for sending the federal lines a letter which would tell the anxious friends in rockland of his safety this letter which was directed to mrs william mather had been the direct means of tom's ascertaining that his brother-in-law was not only alive but had once shared in the hospitalities now so freely extended to himself after learning this tom could not forbear tearing open the envelope and adding in a postscript i have just heard that will was not many weeks since a guest in this very house where i am so kindly cared for god bless the noble man who has saved so many lives and the beautiful girl his niece i cannot say enough in her praise i do believe she would die for a unionist any day will it seems did not see her as she was away when he was here and perhaps it is just as well for you little rose that he did not there is something in her eye and voice and carriage which stirs strange thoughts and feelings in the hearts of us savages who have so long been deprived of ladies society she is a very queen among women that postscript was a most unlucky thought the first part of tom's letter had been so guarded with regard to the people who befriended him that no harm to them could possibly have accrued from its falling into hostile hands but in the postscript he forgot himself and assumed forms of speech which pointed directly to paul haverhill and his niece maud de vere and so the guerrillas who caught and half killed the refugee entrusted with the letter set themselves at once at work to find the noble man who had the beautiful niece it was not a difficult task and paul haverhill who had been looked upon as so rank a secessionist was suddenly suspected of treason paul was popular and dangerous while maud de vere whose principles were well known was too much beloved by the rough mountaineers to allow of harm falling upon her at once but the writer of that letter the yankee carleton should not go unpunished and just at sunset one afternoon lois who had been at a neighbouring cabin came hurrying home with that ashen hue upon her dark face which is the negro's sign of paleness master paul was suspicioned of harbouring somebody she said and already the hordes of mountaineers were assembling around the cross-roads and concerting measures for surprising and entrapping the yankee Chloe tell me she hear em say if they was perfectly sure about masser and it wasn't for miss maud they'd set the house on fire and they looks mighty like they's fit to do it the wust faces miss maud and they does swar awful bout the yankee they's got halters and tar and feathers and guns lois was out of breath by this time and even if she had not been she would have paused with wonder at the face of her young mistress maud had listened intently to the first part of lois's story but felt no emotion save that of scorn and contempt for the men assembled at the cross-roads and whom uncle paul could manage so easily but when it came to the halter for the yankee her face turned white as marble and in that moment of peril she realized all that captain carleton was to her and knew what had been the result of the last week's daily intercourse with one so gifted and so congenial she knew too that he was not for her arthur turnbridge stood in the way of that 
she would keep her faith with him but she would save captain carleton or die lois she said and there was no tremor in her voice bring that red dress i gave you last christmas the one you think is so long your shawl and bonnet too and shoes bring them to captain carleton's room lois comprehended her mistress at once and hurried away to her cabin after the dress whose extra length she had so often deplored saying it wasn't for such as her to wear switchin trains like the grand folks meanwhile maud had communicated with her uncle who manifested no concern except for his guest and even for him he had no fears provided he could reach the cave in safety to accomplish that was maud's object and as the cross-roads lay in that direction a great amount of tact and skill was necessary but maud was equal to any emergency and half an hour later there issued from paul haverell's door two figures clad in female garments and whom a casual observer would have sworn were maud de vere and her servant lois maud had a revolver in her pocket and another in the basket she carried so carefully and which was supposed to contain the cups of jelly and custard she was taking a poor sick neighbour whose house was up the mountain path at her side with the shuffling gait peculiar to lois tom carleton walked his nicely blackened face hidden in the deep shaker which lois had worn for years and his calico dress flopping awkwardly about his feet lois fortunately was very tall and so her skirts did good service for the young man whose powers of imitation were perfect and who walked and looked exactly like the old coloured woman watching his progress from an upper window and declaring that she would almost swear it was herself at her side stood charlie a round spot of red burning on either pale cheek and his slender hands grasping a revolver while occasionally his blue eyes looked eagerly along the mountain road which as yet was quiet and lonely i never thought to raise my hand against my own people he said but if they harm uncle paul i shall shoot somebody the sun had been gone from sight for some little time and the tall mountain shadows were lying thick and black across the valley when up the road several horsemen came galloping and paul haverell's house was ere long surrounded by a band of as rough savage-looking men as could well be found in the mountains of tennessee calmly and fearlessly paul haverell went out to meet them asking why they were there and why they seemed so much excited for a moment his old power over them asserted itself again and they hesitated to charge him with treason as they intended doing but only for a brief space was there a calm and then amid oaths and imprecations and taunting sneers and threats they told him of the letter and deriding him as a traitor demanded the sneaking yankee who had written that letter and was now hidden in the house to reason with such people was useless and paul haverell did not try it standing upon his doorstep with his grey hair blowing in the evening wind and his hands deep in his pockets he said i admit your charge in part there has been a union soldier in my house an escaped prisoner from columbia i did care for him and i am neither ashamed nor afraid to own it fear is a stranger to old paul haverell as any of you who tries to harm him will find never mind a speech paul said the leader of the men nobody wants to hurt you though you deserve hanging perhaps what we want is the yankee fetch him out and let's see how he'll look dangling in the air yes fetch him out yelled a dozen voices in chorus bring out the yankee we want him hello puny face are you a bad egg too they continued as charlie appeared in the door shall i fire uncle paul charlie asked and his uncle replied by no means unless you would have them on us like wolves friends 
and he turned to the mob which had been increased by some twenty or more friends that man is gone he is not here he has left my house you can search it if you like where's miss devere a coarse voice cried we know her to be union she never tried to cover that as you hoary old villain did she was out and out let her come and say the yankee is gone and we will believe her my niece i regret to say is not just now in either she is gone with lois to take some knick-knacks to a sick neighbour that's so boys i met her myself as i came down the mountain called out a young man of the company who seemed to be superior to his associates gone with lois eh then whose woolly pate is that responded a drunken brute who rising in his stirrups fired a shot toward the garret window from which lois in an unguarded moment had thrust her head others had seen her too and as this gave the lie to the story that lois was gone the maddened crowd pressed against the house declaring their intention to search it and hang any runaway they might find secreted there it never occurred to them that the runaway could have been with maud in lois's clothes but the young man who met the two lone women saw the ruse at once and influenced by maud's beauty and the remembrance of the sweet good evening mark with which she had greeted him as he passed he made his way to charlie's side and whispered if you know where your sister has gone and can warn her do so at once tell her if she is tolerably safe to stay there and not return here to-night charlie needed no second bidding and stealing from the rear of the house he was soon speeding up the mountain path in the direction of the cave meanwhile the search in paul haverell's house went on closets were thrown open beds were torn to pieces cellars were ransacked and old lois was dragged from the ash-house where she had taken refuge while worse than all tom carleton's boots were found in the chamber where he had dressed so hurriedly and the sight of these maddened the excited crowd which failing of finding their victim began to clamour for paul haverell's blood but paul kept them at bay in the rear of the house was a small dark room to which there was but one entrance and that a steep narrow stairway here paul haverell took refuge and standing at the head of the stairs threatened to shoot the first man who should attempt to come up they had not yet reached that state when they counted their lives as nothing and so amid yells and oaths and riding up and down the road and drinking the fine grape wines with which the cellar was stocked the hours of the short summer night wore on until just as the dawn was breaking in the east the marauders put the finishing touch to their night's debauch by setting fire to the house and then starting in a body up the mountain-side in the direction of the cave thirty three in the cave the cave was dry and comparatively comfortable and tom felt as he entered it almost like going home will mather had spent a day and a night there while better than all maud de vere was with him her bright eyes shining upon him through the darkness and her hands touching his as she groped around for the candle her uncle had said was on the shelf in the rock it was presently found and with the aid of the match maud had brought with her a light was soon struck its flickering beams lighting up the dark recesses of the cavern with a ghastly kind of light which to maud seemed more terrible than the darkness she was not afraid but her nerves were shaken as only threatened danger to tom carleton could shake them and she felt strangely alone on the wild mountain-side and in that silent cavern tom did not seem like much of a protector in that woman's garb but when with a shake and a kick and a merry laugh he threw aside the bonnet shawl and dress and stood before her in his own proper person minus the boots she felt all her courage coming back and with him beside her would have defied the entire southern army 
there was water enough in the spring to wash the black from his face and maud lent her own pretty ruffled white apron for a towel and then when his toilet was completed began to speak of returning at this hour and alone with the road full of robbers never maud never you must either stay here with me or i shall go back with you tom said and he involuntarily wound his arm around the waist of the young girl who trembled like a leaf she did not think of arthur then or her promise to him for something in tom's voice and manner as he put his arm about her and called her maud brought to her a feeling such as she had never experienced before perhaps tom suspected that he was understood for he held her closer to him and passing his hand caressingly over her burning cheek he whispered dear maud i cannot let you incur any danger which i must not share you understand me don't you she thought of arthur then and the thought cut like a knife through her heart she must not understand she must not listen to words like these she must not stay there to hear them and with a quick gesture she was removing tom's arm from her waist when his wary hiss made her pause and stand where she was leaning against him and heavily too as terror overcame every other feeling footsteps were coming near and coming cautiously too up to the very entrance of the cave where they stopped as some one outside seemed to be listening it was a moment of terrible suspense and maud could hear the throbbing of her heart while tom strained her so close to him that his chin rested on her hair and she felt his breath upon her cheek maud sister maud came reassuringly in a low whisper and with a cry maud burst away from tom exclaiming charlie what brings you here he explained to her why he was there and that she must stay all night and with a shudder as she thought of what might befall her uncle maud acquiesced in the decree feeling glad that charlie was with them a hindrance and preventive to the utterance of words she must not hear a hindrance he was it is true but not a total preventive for by and by the tired boy's eyes began to droop as drowsiness stole over him and when tom made him a bed with lois's dress and shawl and bade him lie down and sleep he did so at once after first offering the impromptu couch to maud seen by the dim candlelight maud's face was very white and her eyes shone like burning coals as she watched captain carleton and guessed his motive had there been no arthur in the way she would not have shrunk from captain carleton but with that haunting memory she could have shrieked aloud when she saw the weary lids droop over charlie's eyes and knew by his regular breathing that he was asleep tom knew it as soon as she did but for a time he kept silence then he came close to her and sitting down by her side said softly maud you and i have been very strangely thrown together and as i once said to you there is a meaning in it if we will but find it shall i try and solve it for you or do you know yourself what is in my mind she did know but she could not answer and her face drooped over her brother whose head she had pillowed upon her lap perhaps this is not the fitting place for me to speak tom continued but if the morning finds me in safety i must be gone and no one can guess when we may meet again let me tell you maud of my early life before ever i saw or dreamed of you surely she might hear this and the bowed head lifted itself a little while captain carleton told first of his home in boston of beautiful little rose and saucy dark-eyed jimmy and then of the pale proud mary his early manhood's love who at the last had lost the pride and hauteur inherited from her race and had died so gentle and lowly and gone where her husband one day hoped to meet her 
then there came a pause and tom was thinking of a night when poor jimmy sat by his side before the lonely tent-fire and talked with him of annie graham should he tell maud of that yes he would and by the even beating of his heart as he made that resolve and thought of annie he knew he had outlived his fancy for one of whom he spoke unhesitatingly praising her girlish beauty telling how pure and good she was and how once a hope had stirred his heart that he perhaps might win her but i gave her up to jimmy annie will be my sister and i know now why it was so appointed god had in store for me a gem as beautiful as annie graham and better adapted to me i mean you maud god intends you for my wife do you accede willingly have you any love for the poor yankee soldier who has been so long dependent upon you he had her head now on his arm and with his hand was smoothing her bands of satin hair while he waited for her to speak he had dealt honestly with her she would be equally truthful with him and she answered at last oh mr carleton you don't know how much it pains me to tell you what i must i might have loved you once but now it is too late i promised arthur if he would be kind to the poor prisoners and help the escaped ones to get away and-oh i don't know what but i am to be his wife when the dreadful war is over pity me mr carleton but don't love me no no don't make me more wretched by telling me of a love i cannot return could you return it maud if there were no promise to arthur tom spoke very low with his lips close to her burning cheek but maud did not reply and tom continued maud was the getting me here in safety any part of the price for which you sold yourself she did not answer even then but by the low gasping sob she gave as she shed back from her hot brow the heavy hair tom knew the truth and to himself he said it shall not be and then from his heart there went up a silent prayer that god would give him the brave beautiful girl who drew herself away from him and leaning over her sleeping brother sat with both hands clasped upon her face they did not talk together much more and once tom thought maud was asleep she sat so rigid and motionless with her face turned toward the entrance of the cave but she was not asleep and her dark eyes were fixed wistfully upon the one bright star visible to her and which seemed whispering to her of hope perhaps arthur would release her from her promise and perhaps but maud started from that thought as from an evil spirit and her white lips whispered faintly god help me to keep my promise the night was very still and as the hours wore on and the faint dawn of day came over the mountain-tops maud's quick ear caught the echo of the fierce shouts in the valley below and laying charlie's head from her lap she went out of the cave followed by captain carleton who wondered to see how that one night had changed her the brilliant colour was gone from her cheek which looked haggard and pale as faces look when some great storm of sorrow has passed over them her hair had fallen down and lay in masses upon her neck from which she shook it off impatiently and then intently listened to the sounds which each moment grew louder shoutings they were and tones of command mingled with the distant tramp of horses feet while suddenly above the tall tree-tops which skirted the mountain-side arose a coil of smoke too dark too thick to have come from any chimney where the early morning fire was kindled it told its own tale of horror and maud's eyes grew so black and fierce that tom shrunk back from her as pointing her finger toward the fast increasing rings of smoke and flame she whispered do you see that captain carleton it's uncle paul's dwelling they have set it on fire i never thought they would do that though i have watched more than one burning house in these mountains 
and have almost felt a thrill of pride as i thought how dearly we are paying for our love to the old flag but when it comes to my own home the pride is all gone the fire burns deeper and one is half tempted to question the price required for the union tom was about to speak to her when she turned abruptly upon him and said captain carleton do you believe your northern women your rose your annie would bear and brave what the loyal women of the south endure they may be true to the union no doubt they are and they think they know what war means but i tell you they do not did they ever see their friends and neighbours driven to the woods and hills like hunted beasts or watch the kindling flames devouring their own houses as i am doing now for i know that is my uncle paul's and whether he still lives or is hung between the earth and heavens god only knows and perhaps he has forgotten i sometimes think he has else why does he not send us aid where are your hordes of men why do they not come to save us when we have waited so long and our eyes and ears are weak and weary with watching for their coming she was talking now more to herself than to her companion and she looked a very queen of tragedy as with her hair floating over her shoulders and her hands pressed tightly together she walked hurriedly the length and breadth of the long flat rock which bordered a precipice near the cave tom was about to answer her when a ball went whizzing past him while the loud shouts of the men whose heads were visible beneath the distant trees told that he had been discovered to return to the cave and take maud with him was the work of a moment and amid yells of fury the drunken mob came on to where maud forgetting everything now except tom carleton stood waiting for them they would not harm her she knew and like a lioness guarding its young she stood within the cave but so near the entrance that her face was visible to the men who at sight of her stopped suddenly and asked what she was doing there and who she had with her my brother charlie and captain carleton the man whom you sought at uncle paul's she answered fearlessly as she held with a firm grasp the dangerous-looking weapon which she knew how to use and pray what may you be doing with the yankee asked one of the coarser of the men and maud replied i am standing between him and just such creatures as you are while tom grasping her shoulder said step aside maud i cannot endure this you a girl defending me i must go out let me pass to certain death never maud replied thrusting him back with a strength born of desperation charlie who had roused from his sleep and fully comprehended what was going on caught tom around the neck and nearly strangled him as he said let maud alone captain carleton they'll not harm her they would only shoot you down for nothing thus hampered and importuned tom stood back a little while maud held a parley with her besiegers threatening to shoot the first man who should attempt to pass her she did not think of danger to herself and she stood firmly at her post while the men consulted together as to the best course to be pursued and while they talked and maud stood watchful and dauntless the flames of paul haverell's house rose higher in the heavens and strange ominous sounds were heard in the distance sounds as of many horsemen riding for dear life with shouts and excited voices and maud became aware of some sudden influence working upon the crowd around her then a band of cavalry dashed into sight and all was wild hurry and consternation but above the din of the strife without tom carleton caught sounds which made his heart leap up and springing forward past maud de vere he exclaimed thank god the federals have come we are saved maud we are saved 
as his tall form emerged into view a brutal soldier maddened by the surprise and unavoidable defeat levelled his gun and fired recking little whether tom or maud was the victim the ball cut through the sleeve of maud's dress and grazing her arm enough to draw blood lodged harmlessly in the rocks beyond at that sight all charlie's fire was roused and the shot which went whizzing through the air made surer work than did the one intended for tom carleton tom was out upon the ledge of rocks by this time grasping the hands of the bluecoats who were a part of a company sent out to reconnoitre and who had reached paul haverill's house just after the rebels had left it at first they had tried to extinguish the flames but finding that impossible they had followed the enemy most of whom were made prisoners of war some months before john sims had been transferred from the army of the potomac to the army of the cumberland and he it was who led his men to the rescue doing it the more daringly and willingly when he heard who was in danger he was a captain now and he stood grasping tom carleton's hand when a piercing shriek rose on the air and turning round the young men saw maud de vere bending over the prostrate form of a soldier whose head she gently lifted up as she moaned bitterly oh arthur arthur how came you here End of chapters 32 and 33